Welcome back, literary slummers, to another episode of Shelf Aware, the podcast where we are reading books outside of our comfort zone. I'm Em. And I'm Anna. This fortnight on Shelf Aware, we are wrapping up our new adult unit with the book Well Met by Jen DeLuca, which um, I personally loved. (laughs) Oh, good! So this is the unit that Anna... Um, picked to get more familiar with slash see if we could find a book that Anna yes, liked. So it yay! Worked. We succeeded. I love this book. I gave it five stars on Goodreads. It ticked a ton of boxes for me. It was very good. <laughs> excellent, mm-hmm. excellent. How did you like it? I, I did like it. I think it was good. Um, I will say, what, and I'm going to talk about this a little more at the end of the episode, I went on a bit of a binge this week and read a crap ton of new nice, adult nice or new adult adjacent so i was maybe a little burnt out by the time i got to this one because i was like oh yep that trope oh yep okay seen that <laughs> fair fair um, but i did i did in general think it was really really cute and um generally well written yeah i liked it a lot i thought it was yeah. fun i liked the twist of it being taking place at a renaissance festival fair renaissance fair Renfest. Mm-hmm. I've always called them festivals. A Renaissance is... Festival Fair. Yes, that's the yeah. full title. Do they just call it Ren Fair in this one because like Renfest is TM copyright? Um, you know, I didn't really notice. Like, I feel like I've called them Ren Fairs. I don't know. I guess the one by us is Renfest. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I feel like they are sometimes called Ren Fairs. Maybe it's like a regional thing. It could be, though I didn't really notice there was a difference until I went to say it, and I was like, ooh, that sounds weird in my mouth. It must be something different, and it was. But yeah, I loved that. I loved this, like, half-play-acted, mm-hmm. half-real-life sort of thing, and I really liked how the her feelings for the character bled into her feelings for the real guy. It was just, it was good. That, that is also a trope I generally enjoy. Um, you get it more in, like, fan fiction for superheroes of like people being in love with the superhero and the superhero's secret identity and not knowing or whatever you know oh my god yes i love this trope (laughs) i love identity reveal fix it's a good trope Mm. right but yeah this is a little bit of shades of that although obviously she knew that the guy playing that it was the same person you know yeah they both knew each other (laughs) right (laughs) Mm -hmm. Before we get into the plot breakdown, uh, who would you recommend this book to? Um, I would recommend this book to people who, um, I think this is like a good starting off point for someone who wants to get into the romance or new adult genre. I think there's a lot here with Emily and finding her place in the world and also kind of having a fun twist on just a um, enemies to, to lovers sort of romance um, it has a lot to offer and, and it's, it was an easy read, a quick read. And it's not like they just, they hide it behind one of those covers that makes it seem like it's not like a traditional romance, you know, like a cheesy supermarket romance, which, you know, actually like only really good romance authors get sold at supermarkets. So like we shouldn't rag on supermarket romances, but, um, <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think it's a good starting point. How about you? I would add, I agree with everything you said, and I would add that, um, and you kind of touched on this actually when I introduced this book, I would suggest this to readers of romance, maybe people who Mm -hmm. already like romance, but either like historic and haven't really Mm. tried contemporary or really like contemporary and haven't really tried historic. Because I think 
I think that there's like some crossover appeal in this and that it's obviously set in a contemporary setting, but there's a lot of the tropes in that are like in historical romances that um, might appeal to fans of that genre. And on the flip side, if um, you're maybe like a fan of more contemporary and you're like a little bit worried about some of the political issues of historical, uh, yeah. like the, you get the fun parts of the historical without having to worry about the fact that women basically had no rights. Right. Like, <laughs> so it was it was nice for that. And I mean obviously like a good historical romance writer knows how to deal with that, but if you're if you're in one of those two camps and you want to check out the other, this might be like a good kind of in-between point to um, get into. Yeah. Yeah. And I think also as like kind of what the point of new adult fiction is is for someone who's like read a lot of YA but wants to jump up to maybe some adult fiction mm-hmm. this is this is the one you should read yeah yeah not the mister don't read that one yeah no ignore maybe that maybe read losing it eh, but this one definitely for sure <laughs> um all right let's get into the plot of it I was typing up my synopsis of the plot and I was like oh this will be an easy one because it's a romance like what they fall in love they break up they fall in love but then I, like, finished my notes. I was like, why are my notes three and a half pages long? This is ridiculous. <laughs> oh, no. Well, here's the thing, though. That might be, I mean, like, sorry, listeners. That might be what we need because I don't have that many riffs this week. Because, A, um, I bought this as a uh, solid, real, nice. in-existence copy, which always means I take less notes because I don't have, you know, my note taking Kindle open. Mm-hmm. But also, I just didn't have that much to bitch about. So, like, yeah, honestly, <laughs> I was like, and I was so episode. into the story, like, just like pages would go by, and I would not even like realize it. But I will try my best to uh, come up with some japes. <laughs> All right. So, main character is Emily. She is a twenty-something-year-old, like mid-twenty-year-old, who has moved in with her sister April because April was in this horrific car accident where she completely shattered her leg and she needs someone to care for her because she's a single mother raising a teenage girl and it's perfect because emily's boyfriend has just dumped her because he doesn't think she was good enough to be dating a hotshot lawyer like him even though she sacrificed all of her goals and dreams in order to help lift him up to his and also like somehow he was just able to cancel their lease so she had nowhere to live was the other thing. He's a hotshot lawyer, so he knows how to get out of these legal oh, documents. Yeah, he just went in there and finagled some legalese and was like, hey, no more lease now. <laughs> Let me think here. As, and so, okay, so as part of her caretaking duties, Emily is tasked with taking her niece, Caitlin, to the Ren Fair auditions. And Caitlin is super excited about it, a big theater nerd. And while she is there... Emily is informed that Caitlin needs an adult to volunteer with her because she's a minor. So Emily is like, I used to work at a bar. Guess I'll just be a tavern wench. That sounds fine. Which I don't think that would have been my choice. (laughs) (laughs) Emily meets some people at the Ren Faire auditions. She's introduced to Stacy, who is like the wenchiest of the tavern wenches. She's their leader or the just like the only one that has signed up again. Mitch, who is one of the high school gym teachers and is very muscular and attractive. And his big selling point is that he wears a kilt for the entire Renfest. So, like, everyone okay. is real excited about that. I want to touch on this kilt thing. Yes. Because I get that guys in kilts are a thing. But the way it's phrased in this is weird to me. 
Okay. Because, and this, this isn't so much a picking on thing. This is more of a, like, I literally don't know. I guess I haven't looked at dudes and kilts enough. Maybe I need to fix that. Um, <laughs> but like, let me see let if me I just can Google find hot the... dude and kilt. She sees Mitch. She meets Mitch. She's, um, he's like, Ooh, you should join. It's really fun. You're going to have fun. And she's like checking out his ass hardcore. Right. Right. And then Stacy's like, oh, if it helps, like, to convince uh, Emily to join, he carries a pretty big sword during fair and wears a kilt. And she says, sold, and then thinks, what was giving up my weekends for the entire summer when it meant I could look at an ass like that? Here's my question. (laughs) Wait, yeah. (laughs) I don't think kilts are particularly known for showing off the derriere maybe she thought like he would go traditional and not wear anything underneath and she would be seeing his junkin butt all summer long but only if she like panty shot at him like yeah because she's real it's not like he was gonna be running around with his kilt flying up in the wind to see his butt this is my point i feel like he does do that flip in the choreographed fight scene but there's no way she could have she doesn't know about that yeah right right so i mean like kilts as far as being attractive like i do get that like some people are really into kilts but i don't think it's because your butt looks really good in them right Yeah, i think it's the legs isn't it right and i feel like there's a lot of like fabric around the butt to the point that it's actually somewhat obscured perhaps i'm wrong i'm looking at pictures of men in kilts now but they're all forward facing so i cannot report back and i don't know if i want to google man butt in kilt okay i've i've searched kilts butt and there are some images um but for the most part i don't think this is a particularly beneficial look for the derriere i just don't it's kilt be careful there are (laughs) oh there are but i don't have safe search turned on i like to live dangerously (laughs) let's try kilts from behind so what is okay this is a much safer search try kilts from behind kilt from behind i like to kilt butt but kilt from behind but yeah it's not a good it's not a good butt shot so i don't understand yeah no it's kind of shapeless isn't it yeah because, like, the reason that women's butts look good in skirts is because a lot of times they wear heels that make your butt mm-hmm. stick out. And I don't think the men are doing that. Or because the skirts are fitted to the butt. That too. Like, if you're wearing a, a looser skirt, you're going to have the same effect. The, the, it was a weird connection to make of being like, ooh, I love his butt, and he wears a kilt? Awesome. Like, I'm like, those two things don't have anything to do with each other. You should be like, oh, I love his butt. Oh, wait, he wears a kilt? Maybe he should play baseball instead, because those are the best pants for showing off butts. For butt watching. Yes, those are some good butt watching clothes. (laughs) Oh, man. Anyway, that was my biggest complaint about this book. (laughs) Yes, yeah. Write in and tell us what your favorite butt watching outfits are. What's your what's your favorite outfit both to watch butts in and to observe a butt? Like yes. if you are what also do you want to be wearing while you are watching the butts? I think for me, I also want to wear an outfit that I know my butt looks good in when I see a good butt. That mm. way I don't get like sad about mine. You don't want your butt to feel jealous of the other butt. Yeah, I don't want to suffer from butt inadequacy. <laughs> it's gonna be the next Pixar movie. 
It's like inside out, but with butts. Yeah. His butt gets really sad because his owner just loves watching guys in baseball pants. And he only ever wears sweatpants. (laughs) And we know those gray sweatpants are good for watching some things, but it's not the butt. It's not the butt. Nope. (laughs) Maybe a close neighbor, but not. Man, this is a Randy episode. So back to this book, <laughs> if we must. Caitlin makes it through auditions and becomes a lady-in-waiting, so she and Emily must therefore dedicate every weekend that summer to rehearsing and then participating in the Ren Fair. And at first, Emily is a little unsure about what she signed up for. She's like, mm, these guys are saying huzzah a lot, and that's weird to me. Emily, <laughs> I agree. I agree with you saying huzzah is strange <laughs> when you're not like... <laughs> doing the part of being in the run fair just like saying it for fun that was that was like last decade that was that was like the last you know we're practically it's practically 2020 you know it's a whole new never mind i'm done with that joke Glad I knew to stop when I was ahead. Good, yes. <laughs> Why to stick the landing there? <laughs> so she's curmudgeonly at first, but then <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It's fine. <laughs> I know you're laughing at my really good joke, and that makes me feel really good. <laughs> I'm not suffering from joke inadequacy over here. That's for sure. Uh, Emily Emily quickly starts to enjoy the process of being part of this red fair. And she, and she, you know, it's about the friends we make along the way. And she does, she does mm-hmm. make some friends along the way. But she also has a few run-ins with this Simon guy where he just always seems to be unhappy with Emily's level of commitment to the fair and, like, what she's doing, how she's developing her character, and he's always snapping at her and stuff, and she's snapping back at him because he's kind of being a jerk for no reason in her eyes. Well, kind of in my eyes, too. Like, this is kind of inexcusable behavior from him. But I was able to overlook it by the end of the book. (laughs) (laughs) And while Emily and Caitlin are being immersed in the fair, April is also still needing help at home while recovering from the accident. And so one of her weekly tasks is to take april to physical therapy and while she's there emily discovers a nearby bookstore called read it and weep which is a very good name for a bookstore and is owned by the woman who (laughs) plays queen elizabeth at the ren fair and her name is chris and emily and chris start up a conversation about the bookstore which leads to emily getting a job there and emily starts to feel like "Mm, maybe this could be home now i don't know i've never had a home before (laughs) But Chris is important because she eventually reveals to Emily that Simon's brother, Sean, was the one who started up the fair. And Sean was like this super cool guy everyone loved. They were like, oh, Sean, you're the best of of the two brothers. You are so good. Everyone loves you, Sean. Simon who? It's discovered that Sean has cancer or had cancer because he's dead now. And he passed away a few years previous. And unfortunately, it was like he passed away during the middle of one of the fair seasons this is a really hard time of year for simon which kind of explains away some of his dickish behavior um and they keep the fair going to honor sean's memory 
And it's also revealed that Simon um, is turning 27 this year, which is the age his older brother was when he passed away. So he's, like, going through the sad time, like, I know I'm not going to have an older brother really anymore because I'm going to be older than him. It's very sad. But my question here is, does this, like, I, I enjoyed this book, yes, but as I was going back and writing the synopsis out, I was like, like, he was a huge dick, though, like, immediately for no reason, right? Okay, here's my defense of Simon, I think. Okay. Number one, I think that Emily is touchier than she needs to be. Mm-hmm. I think that she's very sensitive about stuff. Mm-hmm. So I think that, like, she's probably taking shit the wrong way that, like, doesn't necessarily, wasn't intended that way. Number two, I think that part of it is Simon being a dick, and part of it is Simon never being called out on the fact that, like, he's being a dick because mm-hmm. it's like this small town thing where like everybody knows yeah. everybody and everybody's known everybody for years. So like whenever he's like kind of brusque with someone else, it's like, Oh, well, you know, <laughs> that's his personality they've known each other for years. They know he's not. Yeah. They know he's not really like an asshole. They know he's just mm-hmm. like wound up about this thing, but he doesn't have the ability to adjust to Emily, this like outsider. So then he's coming at her with like this energy that's like up here, that is the same energy he's using for like the rest of people these people who have known him forever. Boy. And it's like, no, she's a new person. You need to bring it down. <laughs> you need to ease into the dick behavior. Yeah. Um, which I think this was like my only complaint of the book was like the 180 he does, like not in character mm-hmm. because that's that I can understand. But just when he goes from like not being in a relationship with her to suddenly like being this, the sweetest man in the world to her. Um, I went along with it because this is a romance book and I was thoroughly enjoying it. But the first time that he's a dick to her is like when she gives him the form, like this is the first time Mm -hmm. they meet, right? Is like, yeah, she's signing up. He, she hands in her form and he hands it back and is like, this is need to fill out your form completely. And she's like, what? How dare he tell me to fill out my form completely? And it's like, I mean, yeah, he could have been, like, a little bit more chill about it. But, like, also, like, you do need to fill out the form completely. (laughs) (laughs) You do need to specify which role you want. This is true. Right. It's like if you had a question about it, you probably should have been, like, I don't know how to fill this out instead of just, like, not doing it. So, I mean, like, I think that, like, she does take stuff personally that maybe... It's just him. And then, like, she like she complains about him, like, using her his teacher voice on her and stuff like that, where it's like, mm-hmm. okay, but that's kind of the role that he's in right now is that he's in charge and teaching you guys. So, like, yeah. eh? So I do think that, like, he's – that, and that was actually kind of my complaint about this, too, is that I think that the 180 seems so severe because – and I know that you don't like split – point of views Mm. but I think it's because we don't have his point of view because I think if we got like more of him being like oh fuck this really pretty girl is talking to me and I have to like be business mode right now like it would right it would come across less as like him being a total dick and then switching once they're in a relationship and more like him being awkward and not knowing what to do and thinking like she's not interested and then when it becomes clear that she is being able to be like more relaxed. I gotcha. 
Because I think that's what the the vibe is that they're going for. But I, I agree that I think it does come across as kind of just he's being an asshole because it's like you don't get any of his interiority. Yeah, yeah. It's a little, yeah, it is by, I mean, it's Emily's point of view and it's first person. So it's a little bit, I don't want to say like full on unreliable, but mm. skewed. But it's a, it's a point way. of view. It's biased. Yeah. 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 Like all point of views are. Mm-hmm. I still don't want more than one point of view, though. <laughs> that's fair. That's your that's your decision as a reader. You can you, you're is. allowed to make that decision. <laughs> so the fair finally opens to the public, and Emily has chosen the name Emma for her tavern wench persona and is given much grief for it from everybody. Wow, Emma, you really thought that went through. But in her defense, she was like, "It was on the list of approved names, and I know I'm for sure going to answer to it." Fuck off, everyone. <laughs> This, her choice of Emma also actually made me very mad because (laughs) I don't know if everyone does this or if it's just me. I don't like when characters have my name. Um, Mm. So it bothered me that her name was Emily slash M. She sometimes goes by M. Uh So in my head, I was like, I'm just going to refer to her as Emma whenever I read her name. So it's a different (laughs) name from my name. And then she picked that. So I couldn't do that anymore. (laughs) Ha 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 ha. She, she defeated you. I thought her logic was sound, though, as someone who's not yeah, named Emily. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like I picked Amelia as my name in Spanish class because easy to remember. <laughs> <laughs> what? Okay, what name would you have picked for the Ren Fair? Let's, let's see. Let's find a name generator. Okay. Renaissance um, name generator. Of Renaissance. I so this like I did I chose a generator but it gives you like a list of ten names and then you can keep okay. generating more. One of the names that generated for me was Love Child and I'm sorry that's my Renaissance name. Yeah, Love Child Newman. <laughs> I'm looking at a list of popular Renaissance baby names and they are Griselda. terrible. Oh, these are all very these are all very Italian though. That's the other thing. This is supposed to be in England, so maybe I should look up English Renaissance English. Renaissance Thomasine names. Oh, here I got mine. Mine's Hannah. That's my Renaissance name. There you <laughs> my go. My low effort. <laughs> if they won't let me pick Love Child Newman, I'll be Hannah. No last name. Um. Ooh, Brickteva. That's fun. Brickteva. How do you spell that? Brickteva. B r i c t e v a. Brickteva. Brickteva. Or. I don't know how this one is pronounced. I think it's Gadusa, but it is spelled God USA. So that one needs to make a comeback oh, for that's sure. Perfect. All right, hold on. Let's let's start over. Let's start over our podcast with our new names. Okay. <laughs> Huzzah! <And> welcome. <laughs> to <Shop> away. <laughs> okay, go ahead. I'm in character. Tis I, Brick Teva. <laughs> Well met, literary slummers. <laughs> well met and good day. And I'm Love Child Newman. <laughs> well, should I have done that with an accent, though? Yay, verily. <laughs> Forsooth. What's other Renaissance words? Huzzah. A love child by any other name would be a sweet. <laughs> and I'm Rick Teva. <laughs> <laughs> ah, this 
this fortnight we didn't read because we are peasants and we don't know how. Uh, we, <laughs> we did go to Yon Theatre and stand outside <laughs> hoping to catch some of the words of the great bard and hoping that we would not be drowned as witches. <laughs> for going to the theater (laughs) i brought my 13 children with me six of which i imagine will die this winter to some sort of airborne illness and i brought no children for i am an old maid at the age of 22 she's a spinster no man shall have me Get thee to a nunnery. <laughs> there were some anachronisms in that, that bit, I think. Yeah, we, we weren't 100% historically accurate, but close enough where you could use us as, like, if you're writing a paper for school, you can totally use us as a citation. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, what happened? Where was I? I oh, okay. Know. We were transported back in time. Yes, we've been transported back in time to the Renaissance era. Um, Simon plays, his persona is the pirate captain Ian Blackthorne. And much to Emily's surprise, he's a completely different person when he's in character. He's got swagger. He is hot. He is wearing an earring and airliner. And, oh, he is wearing an earring and eyeliner and she is here for it. He's wearing an earring and earliner. Earliner. You know what? <laughs> I paused so you could edit it, but you probably won't. You'll probably leave my silliness in the game. It's fine. Listen, listen. They've figured out a way to market ways to fix every part of your face except mm-hmm. the ear. I think we're on to something and we need to get on this hot new makeup trend of earliner. Oh my gosh, yes. Okay, so the earliners are the same color as your hair and you line your ears to make them look smaller. See, that's how it would be for the first like 50 or so years uh-huh. and then like kind of like how eyeliner was like black and brown and whatever and then like someone's going to start doing like Electric blue earliner, like oh um, yes, and Nyx is gonna start producing it. And then other people like they're gonna want to do different shapes, like a a cat ear, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> On the first day of the fair, Emily is asked to stand in during a romantic event called the hand fasting ceremony, where couples pledge themselves to each other for a year and a day. And normally this is an event for guests of the fair only, but because it's the first day, no one really wanted to do it except for a few people. So they pull cast members in to fill out the numbers. And of course, Emily gets paired with Simon. And the ceremony involves like holding hands and soaring vows and this gold rope that gets wound around their hands to bind them together. And there's like some intense hand holding and eye contact and a spark between the two of them. <laughs> After the it's ceremony. all very horny. Yes, she she was like really into this hand holding. <laughs> and after the ceremony, Simon continues the story of Ian Blackthorne being in love with Emma the Tavern Wench, and they get kind of flirty with it, and they uh, they do some kisses. I think not like on the mouth until later, but I think they do some they do some like hand kissing and cheek kissing, and it's all. Hand kissing is Renaissance third base, so. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, it was actually real <laughs> hot and heavy, you guys, for the time. 
And it makes Emily become confused about her feelings towards Simon because she was pretty sure she hated him before this because he was super rude and mean to her. But as a pirate, she was like, hmm, I can see this going places. So it all comes to a head when Emily starts to make some improvements to the tavern she's working in. She's like moving tables around and stuff. She's like, oh, well, people don't really want to stay because we don't really, we haven't really set up a welcoming environment. So I'm just going to make some like nooks and crannies for people to hang out in and blah, 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 blah. And Simon is upset because she's like changing things without talking to them because he's kind of a micromanager and afraid of change because his, he wants everything to stay exactly the same way it was when his brother died. And they start yelling at each other and then that turns into them making out. And they're interrupted by the other tavern wench, Stacy, and then they, Emily and Simon, pre- proceed to pretend that they still hate each other after that. <laughs> Just like always, my least favorite part of any romance is where they pretend, like they kiss, and they're like, "Oh, we shouldn't have done that. Let's just like, I don't know, pretend to hate." Like you can't, you can't ignore the fact that you kissed someone and you enjoyed it. Like that's gonna make you think differently about the person. So let's all just admit that to each other. I also found this scene a little bit annoying because it was kind of like one of the this I don't actually I don't want to say annoying I just would have preferred it slightly differently in that um I think having read a lot of new adult romances this week Mm -hmm. one of the things that I like as a trend is that there's a lot more focus on like making sure everybody's okay with it and like Mm. getting some sort of consent Mm -hmm. and this was one of those like he's so mad and she's like, well, why did you even come over here? All you wanted to do was yell at me, isn't it? And he's like, that's not what I wanted to do. And then kisses her. And it's like, I do get that that's hot, but also like, I, especially when he's already like put her in these situations where it's like they're behaving romantically and hasn't really given her a chance to be like, no, I don't want to do this. Mm -hmm. Like, even though it is theoretically all make believe, like, he does kind of keep springing stuff on her. He does keep being like, okay, you got to come to the hand. Like he has people drag her to the hand fasting. And he like, she shows up on the field and he starts doing the, oh, we're in love thing in front of like other people without checking to be like, hey, you cool with us like play acting this? Because yeah. that could be uncomfortable for her, you know? Yeah. Like he doesn't know her. That's the whole point. Is right. He, she's the one person in town he doesn't know. <laughs> Right, and it's like, it works out because she's into it. So, I mean, that's good. But it could have also been a huge sexual harassment case of like, yeah, I volunteered with this uh, high school yeah. math teacher who's in charge, uh, English teacher who's in charge of um, like a bunch of students and like young people over the summer and he kept sexually harassing me while we were <laughs> at work. I was really into his friend Mitch who was muscly and in a kilt. <laughs> right. I love like, looking at his butt in that kilt. <laughs> you don't have um, to understand it. You just have to accept it's my choice. <laughs> I do also want to like read this line from, I think it's from the scene or let me see. Yeah, it is from the scene where she says, Simon kissed like a pirate. His lips were soft yet demanding, but his tongue plundered. <laughs> <laughs> Which kind of goes along with what you're saying. Like he like, he stole that kiss from her and, Right. I'm just like, I get it. You're trying to sell this whole pirate thing, but like, okay. <laughs> he had no way of knowing she wanted that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she does then reciprocate it. Oh yeah. She makes it very kiss. clear. Yeah. So in retrospect, he was good, but like, you know, public service announcement, don't do things that you got to find out in <laughs> retrospect if they were good. Like, I know that's like a saying of like, it's better to ask forgiveness than you know, permission. It's not with no. kisses. Do get that permission. 
<laughs> not with kisses. Not with kisses or other parts involving no-no zones. Just like, yeah. you know. <laughs> Get that permission before you kiss. Kish. <laughs> <laughs> so then the book turns into the whole, like, we kiss, what does this mean phase of the story. Um, during which Simon and Emily have a heart to heart about Simon's dead brother and how like his feelings about his brother and the fair and stuff. And Simon hints at the fact that he believes that Emily and Mitch, the kilt boy are dating. And so he gets all emo and distances himself from her because, you know, he's afraid to catch feelings, whatever. And then Mitch orchestrates an event where he and Simon, in character, must fight for the affection of Emma the Tavern Winch, which I guess, like, may be more appropriate in, I don't, it's, I mean, it's not appropriate, but, like, maybe more common in the setting of the Renaissance era, but it's a little weird for 2019. Um, <laughs> and Simon gets all pissy about it and storms off because he has, he's orchestrated to lose the fight. Um, and then... Later that evening, Mitch gives Emily Simon's home address, which if someone, if one of my friends gave a home, my home address out to like someone who was practically a stranger to me, I'd be kind of upset, but maybe it's a small town. He figured she was going to find it eventually. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) She only has 18 doors to knock on. Yeah. (laughs) See, she was all the way down at the other end of the resident street and he was on the other (laughs) end. And so... That was a lot of houses to get to, so. He just wanted to save her the five minutes. <laughs> she goes to his house to see him, and they admit they both have feelings for each other, and then they have sex, and they're a couple. Yay. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> what did you think of the sex scene? Was it, I mean, like, yes, it, it was a um, sex scene, and it was, it served its purpose, but with you reading all of your new adult books <laughs> over the weekend, all of where my would you rank books. this sex scene? Um, you know, it's funny because actually when I was compiling my list of uh, these books, mm-hmm. the ones I was going to recommend at the end of this, because I'm going to recommend a few and I'm going to try to not get too into them. My mm-hmm. initial thought was to just like give you guys a list and rank them by horniness. Excellent. But then I kind of was like, they're all pretty equally horny, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> they're um, all about young adults. You finally have the freedom to be horny in the privacy of their own. Yes. <laughs> so I, I think this was a solid sex scene. It wasn't like... I don't want to get too much into my personal preferences. I'll just say it wasn't like my most favorite sex scene mm-hmm. I've ever read or anything like that. But there weren't, there wasn't really anything that I was like, oh, that's, that seems odd or a huge turnoff. Perhaps there's something, I don't know, are you, was there something that you were like? No, no, there wasn't anything. I was just kind of like, I guess reading the book, I wasn't, I had forgotten maybe that this was, not just like a sweet contemporary romance. It was like a steamy mm-hmm. one. I just wasn't expecting it to go oh. as in-depth as it did. But I wasn't unhappy. It just kind of like surprised me. I thought this was going to be a little more vanilla I than think that. that's a thing with a lot of these um, illustrated cover romance novels, which we mentioned mm-hmm. like is the trend now. Um, I don't know. There is something that makes like when it's like little doodles of people on the front with like cute like cartoon-esque not even cartoon-esque but you know like flowers and whatever it's like it it does seem like oh a little less obvious that there's gonna be banging than fabio like fabio is a clue that there will (laughs) yes that there will be there will be wing wangs in this book like (laughs) 
But I think that's probably, I think that's kind of like um, a market trend of like people wanting to be able to read this book on like a train mm-hmm. and not have everybody be like, oh, they're reading a Wing Wang book. They're um, you know. Wing Wang's volume one. <laughs> it's my favorite. <laughs> the seduction of the Wing Wang. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I wonder, um, I don't know, just kind of thinking on this discussion lately that's been going on online of, like, having content warnings at the beginning of books or on the covers mm. of books or whatever. Do you mm. think that, like, this trend of having an illustrated, like, almost, I don't know, it's, I don't want to say childish because it's not a childish cover, but it's kind of, like, reminiscent of that, right? It's like a doodle. It's a drawing. Mm-hmm. It's very pure. And then and then having a sex scene in it. It's like cutesy. I don't know. Should, yeah this honestly this might be a thing of just like and i don't want to like i think that most people who read these books know that there's going to be wang wangs in the books Mm -hmm. i think at this point because i mean like i'm thinking back to the several books i've read with illustrated covers and i'm pretty sure there's sex scenes in all of them yeah i was thinking except for like maybe two this one so i think that like others like i feel like it is almost coded now of like this type of cover is a romance novel and there's probably going to be doing it in it. Like Mm -hmm. I don't, I, so I don't think it's like false advertising. Um, this is not necessarily marketed as a new adult. I don't think, Mm -hmm. um, but it like, it shows up on new adult lists. Yeah. And it's like a main page genre on Goodreads of new adult. So, yeah, I think that the illustrated cover is almost kind of reflective of new adult as a genre, right? Mm -hmm. Like, the idea, the the stuff that goes beyond the age, like we've talked about how new adult is this specific age range typically, but like it's also specific themes of like kind of growing up and like figuring out what you want to do with your life and mm-hmm. also fucking people. Like I think that's kind of most of new adult. I mean, it doesn't have to be explicit, but I think that like it is a big like if we look at look back at losing it, I mm-hmm. mean that's all about fucking people, right? Like even though they don't do it for yes. most of the book, um, and those kind of books that are from that era of 2012 when New Adult was taking off are all there is a lot of like sexy times. So I think that like the illustrated cover romance novel, which is kind of becoming almost a genre of itself, is mm-hmm. kind of like what new adult has become like I feel like no one's calling stuff like marketing isn't calling stuff new adult anymore because that didn't work but Mm -hmm. the same the same themes that were being hinted at by the term new adult are like now hinted at by these covers by having this specific type of cover and I mean like obviously there's just trends in marketing in general but I think that like illustrated covers are kind of like a way to say stuff is new adult in the theme sense without calling it new adult yeah because it didn't take off as like a term yeah I, and I've kind of also noticed or I've or I've seen some people saying on like their booktube channels or their blogs or whatever that they prefer mm-hmm. they prefer to read the romances that come in these styles of covers as opposed to like the different kind of romance that has the more like stereotypical like poofy dress or shirtless man kind of cover depending on whatever Fabio the genre covers. is I guess but I just I don't know I think that's interesting that there there's like this divide between oh these two types of romances so maybe it does like boil down to that these are these are the new adult new new adult 
style of books. Yeah. Versus. I think also there's something something in there about like the older style of romance covers being mm-hmm. like feeling dated and feeling like I, although not always like there's some great romance novels I know of that like have that sort of like real models on the cover yeah that are great mm-hmm. but like I think in general there is kind of that like perception of them of being like your mother's romance novels and like I don't want to read that I want to read you know this Chick-lit. book that appeals to me as a yeah I mean like but again, a lot of it is just marketing trends. Yeah. And I mean, if people are And they're doing these... well because the genre is taking off. Right. Or this, I guess, cover genre. I don't know. Yeah. Well, <laughs> like I feel like romance itself is kind of having a comeback. I don't know. I, I feel there's a lot of people my age and younger that are like, oh, yeah, I read romance now. Like, this is my focus. Mm-hmm. So, I yeah. don't know. Maybe it's like all the happily ever afters. We just need some positivity. <laughs> I mean, I think there's definitely something to be said about that. But I think also there's a lot of like... There's been a lot of, like, feminist discourse about, like, whether reading romance novels is feminist or not. And I mean, like, Mm -hmm. in my opinion, what it comes down to is that, like, it's media that is primarily written by women, that is targeted Mm -hmm. at women. And I mean, like, yeah, there's some stuff in some romance novels that is problematic as shit. But, like, the fact Mm -hmm. of the matter is it is a genre that is, like, pretty much entirely female driven and you really cannot say that about most genres what are you talking about science fiction and fantasy is totally female driven right everybody's so open to women in science fi- <laughs> i mean i'm not saying that there aren't great like science fiction fantasy historically, writers who are women or that like all but historically like there has been some underrepresentation in pretty much every genre except for romance which is heavily overrepresented by women so i mean like yes i think it's one of those things like you can you can enjoy it, but you can also understand the issues with it. Yeah, we've talked about it. I don't know if we've talked mm-hmm. about it on the podcast, but I know we have talked about it before. Like, you can enjoy something while being aware that it's problematic. And I don't know. You take right. from it what you want to take from it, I guess. And I don't want to put that on this. I feel like we're having this discussion in this episode about this book because we don't have that much to nitpick about this book. Not because this necessarily but, yeah. applies to this book. Um, I think that, like... This is pretty, I mean, like, aside from the consent thing, which I've already discussed, and that wasn't a huge, like, it wasn't a huge issue. It was just, I would have preferred. Yeah. In general, I think this book was pretty solid in terms of, like, gender dynamics. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. I think this is definitely, I mean, you can definitely tell this was written in 2019. Right. Um, as opposed to the book we, Losing It, which was 2012, and it just felt very 2012 at times. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> so. Um... But yeah, so anyway, we're, let's just make jokes again, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to cut some of that, but I don't know what. We didn't really come to a conclusion there, but you don't take for that what you will. <laughs> <laughs> so Simon and Emily are a couple, yay. Uh, they like, you know, they have some cute stuff where like um, Simon, Simon and Emily. Okay, here's my here's the thing I had a problem with with this book. I'm so sick of Shakespeare. Emily and Simon are like huge Shakespeare. I know. Oh my God. (laughs) And I'm so like, we get it. Like the sonnets. Oh my God. The sonnets. Yes. The romantic poems. Yeah. Oh yeah. Shakespeare wrote some comedies and cool. I'm like, I'm just like, I'm so whatever. He's not the be all to end all of I think I feel like I feel about Shakespeare at this point how a lot of people who aren't into Harry Potter feel about Harry Potter references where it's like if you make a Harry Potter reference they're like oh my god read another book 
And I yes. feel that way about Shakespeare. I'm like, oh, oh my God, read another play. It's like low-hanging fruit. Like, oh, you like books? You must love Shakespeare. Mm. Right. But at the same time, I don't want to entirely diss it because it's like, well, obviously a lot of people do like Shakespeare, even if it's not the thing that... There's a reason it's lasted. Yeah. It's like, I do get it. Like, but I don't know. I'm, I'm just... I'm just, uh, and I think it, part of it's because we've had like three books in the last couple of months. Oh that my were, god, like, yeah, very Shakespeare heavy. <laughs> it's like every new adult book's about Shakespeare, apparently from from this little slice that we've had. It wasn't in um, the Mister. It was in the Anonymous Diaries book that we read. There was Shakespeare oh, that's right. in that. Anonymous Diaries, and then, and, then was, in, and then in Losing It, right? In Losing It, yeah, and then in this one. So yeah, we've we've been doing a lot of Shakespeare. I will say though, I don't think this one had any bad Shakespeare takes. I was I wasn't like well, yeah. that's wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it was all it was all like actual Shakespeare. <laughs> yeah, and, and I mean they like got the into it was oh that was a question I wanted to ask you because they get into there's a little cutesy thing between the two of them where early in their um, pre relationship relationship there she brings up the like question of did Shakespeare really write Shakespeare and Simon is like offended by this and so she brings it up a lot to like tease him. Um, was this a thing that you learned about in school? Yes, it was, but okay. at, but kind of along the lines of here are here are some things people have said. Not like this is gospel truth about Shakespeare. Like, okay, we we learned about Shakespeare the man, and then we're like, also some people think Shakespeare was Queen Elizabeth. Blah blah blah. You know that kind of thing. Because it was interesting to me in this book that like Simon is basically like that is a conspiracy theory. Like that—that's nonsense. It's complete nonsense. Yeah, well, he and I was like, that, like spreading that that information would destroy civilization. <laughs> well, but here's the thing: when he when they said the, and I actually don't know if he said it or if she said it, like in her inner monologue, that she's like, "Oh yeah, it's basically a conspiracy." Theory. It is kind of like it's kind of like flat Earth or bullshit. Like it's like nonsense that like <laughs> I don't know why it's propagated still in schools. And I mean, like I guess because I definitely did learn about it in school too uh-huh. and i think it was phrased as like it's possible that someone was. could be someone else could be shakespeare and it's like why are you teaching that in schools i yeah. guess so i was kind of like on simon's side about this yeah like of all of the things to be suspicious about in our view of history why why have shakespeare be the one like <laughs> right like it's it's pretty wild to me that it's like we're going to continue repeating this like conspiracy theory about like maybe Shakespeare wasn't Shakespeare and maybe it was someone else entirely which because he was not super wealthy and couldn't possibly have written this like some of these other so like it feels like there's a little bit of classism there especially oh, yeah. when compared with like kind you like you said other history stuff it's like I mean, like, I definitely remembered learning in school that Christopher Columbus discovered America. And, yes. like, he super didn't. So, like, I don't know. Maybe we should, like, figure out which historical possible untruths we want to challenge. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Like, Shakespeare, it, it, it doesn't matter. The plays exist. Let's study the plays. <laughs> like, death of the author in in multiple ways here right like he's actually dead he's never coming back why does it matter anymore he wrote them let it let us examine what? our the foundation of our americanness here like <laughs> <laughs> so they, they bond over shakespeare a lot um there's a cute scene at the fair one weekend where because like emily admits she, that to simon that she's never been wooed before because her previous boyfriend they just kind of like 
got together and stayed together. Fell into it. It was just like a comfortable thing. But um, so Simon buys her a bunch of roses, but has the guests deliver them to her at the tavern one by one. So that, like, you know, the whole the whole Renaissance Festival is kind of in on it. And at the end of the night, he brings her on stage in front of they have like this goodbye ceremony every night at the end of the fair and asks her if she's been wooed. And then they kiss in front of everybody, which, again, might kind of might be something you want to ask about too is the amount of pda you're comfortable with but well and the whole thing with like i feel like i'm picking on this book a little bit after i said that i liked it and i do like it and i stand by no we like like, this one a lot guys (laughs) (laughs) but you can still critique stuff that you like yes um the whole thing with like her him sending the roses is like okay that's cute Mm -hmm. but and maybe this is just a me personally thing and maybe this is something that i need to chalk up to like not everyone is going to have my personal feelings on this that like Mm -hmm. i don't like public displays like that so like it would make me uncomfortable and she even kind of says this when she's dragging when he she's getting dragged up on stage that she's like oh i i'm in front of all these people i feel like nervous like i'm gonna puke and it's like okay i don't know maybe he should have like done something to like it's kind of like a public proposal right it's like that's yes. something that you want to talk about ahead of time what if um, she'd said no <laughs> right or like it's like even if you are gonna say yes to something it might not be something that you want to do in public but again she ends yeah. up being overall into it so it's it, it works out okay but yeah yeah PSA, that's the way the book was written <laughs> get permission before you wish for somebody's hand in marriage <laughs> in a public setting <laughs> uh, i did i did like the idea of the roses quite a bit though i thought that part was cute mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. that part was enough to do the job. She's like, I'm ready to take off these clothes and get horny with Simon after the rose thing. But yeah, <laughs> her like her reaction to being dragged up on stage for the kiss was exactly how I would have been like, oh, no, I'm fine right here I am. This was great. See you at home. <laughs> Which leads us to the breakup because there has to be a breakup, you guys. They, they got together too soon in the book for this not to have a breakup. <laughs> Emily has kind of decided that she wants to stay in this town permanently, but isn't sure if she'll be able to because she's not sure if her job with Chris at the bookstore is super permanent. Because um, Chris brings in another employee and is like, hey, Emily, can you train this person? And Emily's like, oh, my God, I'm training my replacement. This is brutal. But Chris reveals that she has been training Emily to be the store manager. So Chris can take a step back from the store to help her ailing mother who lives in Florida. And she'll like kind of go back and forth throughout the year. Between Florida and Maryland, I think, is where this book takes place. Emily's super excited about this. She's like, I'm going to tell the person I I love the most that's Simon. Let me go tell Simon. When Simon hears about this, instead of focusing on Emily's good news, he's like zeroes in on the fact that Chris, who plays Queen Elizabeth, is going to have to go to Florida for part of the year. And he's like, oh, how is this going to affect, how is this going to affect the fair? Blah, 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 blah. And totally ignores the fact that Emily's like, I can stay here forever and we can be together. And so, of course, Emily's very hurt by this, which I like this part. I felt like this breakup, considering Emily's background of like her ex, like she Mm -hmm. supported him until he got to what he thought was too good for her. And then he dumped her and left her behind. She like she doesn't want to be second best to anyone anymore. And she's like, I deserve better than this. And I felt like she was 100 percent right. I will agree with that, that she was right in this moment. But I do want to say about Emily, <laughs> I mm-hmm. feel like she's a bit of a little idiot. <laughs> like, 
<laughs> a little bit. In the she is very possible. dumb. Because she, like, there's so many times, and this was really more in effect to the Chris thing, where Chris is, like, clearly training her to be manager and clearly training the new girl to be the cashier. Like, Yeah, she's like, Emily, let me teach you how to run the store. And Emily's like, oh, God, she's going to fire me. <laughs> right. There's, like, a couple times, she's, like, Chris is like, this new girl's coffee is absolute piss and only your coffee is good enough. And Emily's like, what does it mean? Uh, <laughs> But, like, there's a couple times where this happens, right? Like, the first one is when um, Emily is working out in her brain that Simon is upset because of the anniversary of his brother's death and the fact that Mm -hmm. he is turning 27, which puts him older than his brother. And, like, she literally just thinks about the number 27 for Oh, my God, for pages. She's like, 27, what did it mean? What could it There's mean? something about it's like it's like that Jim Carrey movie 23 except for the number is 27. <laughs> and it's like I get I get that like I am the reader of this book so obviously like I read the thing about his brother being 27 a few <laughs> chapters ago and I'm like duh and maybe if I was in the moment I wouldn't pick up on it that quickly. Uh-huh. So I was I was willing to forgive her for that. But then she gets together with Simon and she's constantly like I'm pretty sure Simon is going to dump me after the Renaissance Festival. I'm pretty sure. For no reason. We are, that this is a summer fling for him and he does not care for me at all. And he's totally cool with us breaking up in like two weeks. Even though he said he wasn't. And I'm just going to like ride it out and try to be happy for these two weeks. And it's like, girl, literally the first time he fucked, he was like, I don't believe in one night stands for myself. This is very important to me and our relationship is important. And I'm like... I get that you have self-esteem issues because of the last guy, but I don't know how much more clear he can be that, like, (laughs) this isn't a temporary thing. I don't understand why you think that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I I guess I don't. Her her self-esteem may have been affected by, or her ability to trust men may have been affected by her ex, but also... Simon has been very reassuring to her this whole time. Yes. Oh my he's basically like over here like i will die for you except for the fair um and she's like i don't know i he's hot and cold i don't think he's into me yeah yeah <laughs> which i get that like i which is why i think like the breakup itself where it's like the thing is that even if he likes her it seems that he likes the fair more yes. so it's like okay that's a good reason to break up so i'm glad that it wasn't like her being like Oh, end of the summer. Guess we're breaking up. Because I thought that's what it was going to be, that she was going to be like, Oh, that would have made me Well, the in. summer's over, so I, I guess you'll want to go our separate ways. And then he would be all like, what are you talking about? And get mad about it. And then they would break up. Yeah. So I'm glad it didn't go that direction. That would have that been awful. Though also, mm. I guess kind of in Simon's defense. Like I said, I did, I did like this breakup. I like how she was standing up for herself. It was very good. But this is how this is how the conversation went. And so you can understand maybe why Simon was freaking out a little bit. Let let me pull it up in the book. Do you want to read this as a play? Sure. Hold on. Let me find the. So lead into the scene. Emily hears some good news from Chris about her new her recent promotion to store manager. And she Simon walks in and she wants to break the news to him. Hey, you look you look happy. That's because I am happy. I have so much to tell you. Lauren came in tr- today for training. Oh, yeah. I'd forgotten about that. 
How did it go? Will she work out? It went great. She's going to work out fine. Well, if hiring a new employee makes you this happy, maybe Chris should have done it sooner. There's more. Since we have Lauren now, I got a promotion. I'm going to manage the store for Chris while she's away. Away? Where is Chris going? Florida. She's going to stay with her mother, help take care of her, which means I'll be sticking around for the foreseeable future. So you're looking at the new store. Wait. So you're looking at the new manager of Read It and Weep. What? Don't worry. Her mother's okay. I mean, she has some medical issues, and I guess she needs more care now, which is why Chris is going down there, but... Chris is leaving! She's... She's leaving. Yes? Okay, but is she coming back? Ever? Or is this a permanent thing? Just for the winter... She'll be back in the spring. I think they're going to be splitting their time between here and Florida from now on. Oh, okay. So she'll be back in time for fair. That's good. That's your takeaway here? With everything I just told you, your big worry is if Chris will be back in time to put on a big dress and play the queen again next year? Sorry, but yeah, that was the first thing I thought of because... It's the first thing he thought of because she made it sound like Chris was leaving permanently. <laughs> she didn't, like, right. nowhere in that conversation did she say, Chris is going to, to vacation with her mother in Florida every winter now. Like, she was just like, Chris is leaving. I get Emily's point of view of that, like, I don't want to come in second to the fair. But at the same time, she is aware that, like, Simon's whole shit is the fair and like making sure it goes off every year. And she's aware that he's like super, super stressed about it every year and that he does too much work for it. And she has just told him that the one other person who does any sort of work on organizing the fair is like piecing Mm -hmm. out. So like, I do get that he jumped immediately to like, Oh, I'm fucked. Yeah. (laughs) Like I thought, so I, I think like the, Emily's realization of her not being considered as highly as the fair is in Simon's mind could have like been done better because this, I was just like, girl, you need to learn how to deliver news. (laughs) And also like, okay, I might be turning around. Maybe this is a bad breakup because, um, (laughs) Uh we we analyzed the book too much. (laughs) Here's my thought. Okay. It's not that Simon is picking the fair over Emily. It's that he's picking the things that he has responsibilities towards over her good things. So it's like he's worried about the bad things versus like being able to celebrate the good things, right? Because it's not like Mm -hmm. he, it's not, this is, if she had come up to him and been like, um, I just got fired by Chris. I need a job. I think that you should hire me as fair director because I've already done all of this work and whatever this year. Like, let's pretend she did more work this year. Uh And I want, like, I think it would be good for everybody if I was, like, in charge of it and you could pay me. I mean, that would be fucked up in a lot of ways, but, like, just for the sake of this conversation. Um, (laughs) And Simon was like, no, I don't care that you need money and a job. And I want to keep doing the fair the way that I do the fair. Like that would be more of like him picking her needs over the fair. He's not picking the fair's needs over her needs. He's picking the fair's needs over celebrating with her, which I think that's a different like 
level. Yes. Yeah, I think I and I, I think he's also like focusing in on the part that's alarming, right? Like this person is moving away right. and you're the one delivering the news so nonchalantly. Like, hold on, I've got questions. And she she says this thing about or like in her like uh, we didn't read the interior thoughts, but like she says a thing about like, oh, he's more worried about the fair than me getting the job or Chris's mom being sick. And it's like, but he's like really mm-hmm. good friends with Chris. He presumably already knows that Chris's mom is fine. Like, yeah, he doesn't because she like reassures him. She's like, oh, Chris's mom is fine. It's like, nah, bitch. He already knows that. Like he's known Chris for like <laughs> his whole life. Like. Mm-hmm. And Chris seems to think that everybody knows her situation with her mom right. because Chris gossips about everything. So it's like, yeah, and she like he didn't definitely even bring this knows up to Emily, this. and she's like, oh, I thought you, I thought you understood our arrangement here, like, right. So I, I don't, I do, I do get Emily's point of view, yes, but I also get Simon's point of view, <laughs> yes, yeah. I think I like her sticking up for herself and saying I deserve someone who's going to celebrate me and consider me, you know, and like hold me in as high regard as they hold themselves. But also that could have been demonstrated a little bit better. (laughs) Well, and I think maybe that's like for the best, because I think at the end of the day, what we're saying is that it's, it wasn't really even in this, an issue of like Simon picking the fair over her. It was Simon not demonstrating that he cared about her more than the fair. Yeah. And that gets wrapped up by the end of the book. So it gets fixed. And I think maybe if he Mm -hmm. like legitimately did consider the fair more important than human life, that would be maybe a bigger issue that couldn't get wrapped up in the last 20 pages. Yeah. That would have to be a breakup permanent situation. (laughs) That's not a happy ending. Unless somehow... Emily turns into a Renaissance fair, in which case, all right, I have a lot more questions now. (laughs) But I guess it's like, that's part of the whole new adult genre. There's still some of this, like, just like a remnant of that teenage need for drama or the ability to create drama and not, you know, have like maybe a seasoned adult conversation about this. I think that's also just more of a romance thing because that's That's like a very typical trope in rom-coms, which are not necessarily targeted to teenagers. They're generally targeted to adult women, Mm -hmm. um, often poorly because they're often written by men. But anyway, that's a conversation for another time. But I think that's like another podcast (laughs) (laughs) of that. That is like the typical arc, right? Of like boy meets girl, boy falls in love with girl. They date they break up, they get back together, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like there has to be – and we've talked a lot about in various podcasts about uh, how difficult it is to stick that breakup well. Um, So, I mean, this is – this was not the worst one. Oh, gosh, no, yeah. It was – like you said, it could have been that awful. She just, like, assumes they've broken up and he's too prideful to tell Mm. her, no, what are you – stop. (laughs) 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 So they break up. Emily quits the fair. She's like, I can't, I've served my last drink as Emma the tavern wench, which is kind of a, a cool line. <laughs> but she, uh, she quits the fair and everyone's sad, but life has to go on for a while. She goes to work. She's, everyone's like making sympathetic sounds at her. Like, Ooh, are you oh, all doing okay? Oh, poor How dear. are you handling the breakup? And blah, blah, blah. Poor baby. Um, <laughs> poor baby. Poor baby. Shh, shh. <laughs> There, there. Let me nestle your head no in cry. the crux of my arm. 
I kind of wish she just like would have gone and hooked up with a bunch of other people in this very small town. So there would have been a lot of drama for many books to come. But <laughs> for book two, didn't happen. Like... But Emily is convinced to go to the last day of the fair, but not as a cast member, just as a regular fair goer. And she's accompanied by her sister April, who whose leg has regrown. I guess is no longer just shattered bone. Okay, it's been healing skin. over the course of this book. <laughs> yeah, no, Don't like it's gotten better. Me. It's been like six months, but <laughs> we just like we hadn't talked about her at all. So I just wanted you guys to know her her leg is bones again. <laughs> and they have a pretty fun day. A- April throughout this book is kind of characterized as this like shut not shut it well she just like doesn't she lives in a small town but she doesn't really want to get to know anyone she doesn't socialize or participate in a lot of things and so this is a big step for her which is why i'm assuming the second book is going to be about her her and mitch right it's either going to be, be that's kind of her, what i I, I assume i yeah. assume but it's either her or the other the friend um would be my guess stacy stacy and her mystery boo mm. i could see mm-hmm, that too mm-hmm. also mitch maybe Mitch and everyone. <laughs> it's a harem Can't situation. Mitch down. <laughs> they have a fun day at the fair, but it was all a ruse. They were tricking Emily into going to the fair so they could stage another hand fasting ceremony. But this time, instead of pirate captain Ian Blackthorne and Emma the tavern wench, they were just Simon and Emily, promising to love each other and support each other for the next year and a day it was a pretty cute little ending they kiss they yeah. admit they love each other and emily takes simon back simon has depirated himself as a show oh, that yes. he, he like, does not care hair. about the fair more than he cares about emily mm-hmm. yes he he reverts back to regular teacher simon as opposed to pirate simon <laughs> so he had like grown his <laughs> hair out and grew a beard and wore eyeliner he kept the earring though they did make a note to say he did keep the earring just to remind him he has some of that pirate swagger all year long. Well, in the epilogue, in the epilogue, he keeps the earring. In the the they get the hand fasting. I don't think he does. Oh, I think he he's fully departed. Because the epilogue is one year later at the end of the next um, one fair year season. And one day. So yeah, one year and one day. Ho ho. So uh, he has. He, although he has depirated again from the fair season, Emma, uh, not Emma, Emily has convinced him to keep his longer hair because she likes it and he wears the earring also. So it's like, oh, he yes. can be piratey too. Yes. And also he proposes to her and she says yes. Yay. The end. What a cute book. It was so cute. It was cute. I know we ragged on a couple of parts of it, but, you know, if we didn't have a podcast to fo- hyper-focus on one book for <laughs> It was very good. <laughs> yeah. And you can still tease the things that you love. This just is true. like Emma, I keep saying Emma, Emily and Simon had all of the good banter. I, this is our banter with this book. Yes. This, except the book cannot respond. <laughs> <laughs> the book is a book. Might seem a little unfair, but. So, okay. So we have read these new adult books. Yes. You came into the genre a little unsure. What are your what are your takeaways now about the genre as a whole? I guess my takeaway is if the cover is illustrated, it's good. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck the no. mister. Um, <laughs> I think there are definitely specific things about this 
genre about about this age range i guess i should say because that's really what it is right these are it's the same story mm-hmm. just different ages of people um so i like new adult when they're not so brand new adult <laughs> i don't like college age people or um maybe characters who have come from a life that makes them seem a lot younger than they are like if they come from a very sheltered family or if they like you know, like how in the Mister, she was just she's just very like immature, I guess, in yeah. a way. The main character that one was, um, and also the male character, they both were very immature people. Also, that just wasn't a good book. <laughs> um, I think there it, there is merit to the genre. I I feel like I could find other things within the genre that I could like to read and enjoy. Um, in that, I guess. Romance doesn't have to be paranormal for me to enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, did you did you discover anything new about your new adult preferences? I think the thing for me was mainly just like picking up on certain themes and kind of like kind of like you said like I think I I I meant to ask the question of like is this book a new adult? Um mm, and yeah. we kind of answered it in the podcast. I don't know if I cut it or not, but I don't want to go into it again. So I think, yeah, yeah, it is. Um, I think it is, yeah. And There's definitely, she's, like, coming into her own, and I think right. it's like a coming-of-age story, but but a different coming-of-age. <laughs> you know what I mean? I think, <laughs> that, I think that the thing that I really appreciate about New Adult is mm-hmm. that um, it kind of makes the argument that you're not done growing up just because you're 18. Right. Like a lot of times like young adult is kind of like oh you're you're on the precipice and you're gonna go start this new world and then your life is you know it's it's tangled rapunzel singing when mm-hmm. will my life begin and then you get out of the tower right like and i think that new right. adult is kind of like it's cool if you're 25 and you don't know what the fuck you're doing and yes. i do appreciate that as a 28 year old who doesn't know what the fuck she's doing like i i saw a lot of myself in some of the books that i read this last week Mm -hmm. um and some of the books that we've read for this unit of like just generally not being sure and that being okay and I liked yeah it was nice yeah yeah I agree I think I think especially for me coming from the wise and old age of 30 that to Mm -hmm. to fondly remember if my mind can stretch back that far to when I was in my (laughs) mid-20s this feeling of like ooh, did I mess up like is this yeah. is this what it's gonna be? And you do go through a period, and it's not like an obvious. It's not like I hit puberty again or something. Like it wasn't like that big of a of a of a moment of realization or anything. But you do slowly start to be like get your shit together and feel like you're more capable. And you know, getting older is kind of awesome sometimes. Yeah. So. We've wrapped up New Adult. Do you have any recommended reading maybe in the New Adult category or just like stuff that you've been enjoying or stuff that you think is similar? Yes, I read another 2019 release earlier this year. I think is New Adult um, from what I remember, but uh, it it has an illustrated cover. So, But it's The Unhoneymooners by Christina Lauren. Lauren. Which is about a girl, Olive, who has an identical twin sister, Amy, who's getting married. But at the wedding, everyone but Olive and um, the groom's best man, Ethan, fall sick. And Olive and Ethan don't really like each other before these events. But So everyone falls sick, and then they they just 
it doesn't it's it doesn't make sense but they take the honeymoon they take because like otherwise it's just gonna go to waste so they go on the honeymoon and they fall in love and then they have a breakup and then they fall in love again so but yeah so it's kind of like the same um feel to it i think that well met has the one i can't really describe the thing about new adult that i like that i can't describe <laughs> I've read Love in Other Words by her, which is pretty good. Um, and I think yeah, I'm not sure if we might have even talked about her before on this podcast, either with the Unhoneymooners or Love in oh, Other maybe. Words. Cause, um, or I might have just read the synopsis for Unhoneymooners because it sounds very familiar. Mm. <laughs> it was very big this year. Yeah. Um, I think Christina Lauren is actually like two authors who yes, smush their it names is. together yes yeah so i never know like when two people go by a pseudonym do you refer to them as a singular person when you say the author or should you say like they i think you should say they mm-hmm. i think like alona andrews last week we talked about that and they're like a uh, husband wife duo yeah i think you should probably say they then they um and then i don't know like i really don't have a ton of suggestions for a genre because obviously i don't read it a lot um, well that's okay because i got a shit ton oh good let's hear let's hear your let's what what um urged you to go on this reading binge again um so when i was looking up suggestions for this episode i found okay. like a whole bunch that i was like oh this sounds perfect oh wait but there's one thing that like doesn't quite fit like either it was like split point of view or like one of the characters was not or like it might it wasn't quite as solidly new, new adult or like um it was like a um like a, a trope that I didn't think you would like you know okay so but I read a bunch of them I haven't gotten all the way through the list of books that I now want to read but I did read a bunch of them this week and uh here are the ones that I enjoyed yeah and I'm gonna try to get through them pretty quick and in no particular order so we've got The Marriage Clock by Zara Rahim which was not very new adult in the sense of like it wasn't a specific romance centric but it is about a girl whose parents um want her to get married and kind of her trials and tribulations Mm -hmm. as she goes through different like like, ways to date and also like her parents trying to arrange her marriage um mm-hmm. get a life chloe brown by talia hibbert um which is about a woman in london living with a chronic disability um and she experiences or she has a near-death experience that makes her decide that she's going to get a life and she creates a list in of things that she wants to do to be more adventurous and her oh. hot neighbor ends up helping her on that list got uh, Culty, which is by Mariana Zapata, which is about a female soccer player whose team hires a coach, and that coach is this guy named Culty, who is a famous soccer player who she used to idolize as a kid. So there is a big age gap in that one, but some people are into that, and I thought it was fun. Um, oh, yeah, good Aisha... call on that. I'm not sure how I feel about sports romances. <laughs> yeah, that too. And I'm not a big sports romance person, but I did like this one. Um, okay. Aisha at last by Uzma Jalaluddin summed up as pride and prejudice, but in a Canadian Muslim community. Nice. Red, white, and Royal blue by Casey McQuiston, which is blowing up. Yeah. 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 It's just blowing up all over the place. It is a romance between the son of the president, a fictional president, not the one that we currently have. Um, and (laughs) a Royal Prince from Britain, also a fictional Royal line 
and all of the problems that they have as they start to fall for each other. I will say my one issue with that is that it kind of had like 18 endings. (laughs) But aside from that, it was very cute. (laughs) And then the last one was actually not on my list. It was given to me by a friend of the podcast, Morgan Malin. The Flat Share by Beth O'Leary, which is about a pair of people who uh, the girl is getting out of a really bad relationship and the guy is trying to find he works nights and he's trying to find someone to rent his flat part time like to so they're there at Mm -hmm. opposite times so she's there to sleep at night and he's there to sleep during the day um and so they end up in this arrangement together and uh they don't meet for like the first hundred some pages and just send notes back and forth to each other and it's interesting so like kind of epistolary yeah a little bit for the first part yeah it's very cute i really liked it I quite enjoy good epistolary so if you are looking for this genre not all of those are 100 percent new adults some of them fall outside of the age range but they all kind of have those same sort of like themes that i've uh talked about about like kind of all have illustrated covers most of them do. <laughs> Not gonna lie. I think the only one that doesn't is Culty, which is an older one. All of the other ones, I believe, are from this year. Mm. So uh, those are all. I wouldn't necessarily say they're all five stars, but I also know that like my taste is not everybody's taste, and they all made me smile. So that's my rec- my uh, review there of the new adult genre. So I think what I'm hearing is like 2019 was the year the publishing industry nailed new adult, maybe. Uh, maybe there have been a lot of really maybe it's just I looked more into ones from this year but there, yeah mm-hmm. there's a lot of really really great if we're if maybe not calling them new adult but like romances out there right now uh, that are just super fun very yeah. diverse yeah contemporary romances featuring new adults with illustrated mm-hmm. covers it's a little bit of a mouthful but I think the genre name is going to take off there you go um, but that does wrap us up for this <laughs> genre. We will get into what we're doing next week in a second. But first, because this is, I believe, our last episode of 2019, we do have a big announcement for you yeah. guys. Merry Christmas. You know what everyone loves? What? Four. No, five. No. How many of them are there? Six. Six teenagers of various species <laughs> who can turn into animals. Everybody loves that. <laughs> you know what else everybody loves? What? Podcasts that are delivered to your inbox every single week. Oh my God. Please tell me we have discovered a way to combine these two things that everybody <laughs> loves this year for the holiday season. <laughs> pew, 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 pew. Bow, 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 bow. <laughs> nope, my air horn noise was not any better. <laughs> <laughs> As some of you guys who follow our other podcasts know, we are wrapping that one up. That's 12 Months of Christmas. We're wrapping that one up. Mm-hmm. Taking a long break from Christmas rom-coms. We started that podcast a year ago to kind of test the waters of us doing a weekly podcast. And it turns out that mm-hmm. we are perfectly capable of doing a weekly podcast and also of uh, doing a weekly podcast and a bi-weekly podcast. So we're going to actually be cutting our podcast yes. hours. <laughs> But we yeah. are going to be making Shelf Aware a weekly podcast. You're welcome. Yeah. And <laughs> you're welcome more because what you're going to be doing from here on out, um, we experimented with this over the summer, doing a something a bit longer form, doing a series. Um, so from here on out, we're going mm-hmm. to be doing the units like we've set up every other week, um, just like it is right now. So if you like this podcast the way it is, awesome. Literally nothing's going to change for you except you can ignore a thing 
every other week and you'll be fine. You'll, you can live with it. I promise. Every other week. Yeah. Um, (laughs) and then on the off weeks where we're not doing unit coverage, we're going to be doing longer form stuff, starting with picking up where we left off with Animorphs. Um, so all of you who have been waiting for us to get back to Animorphs, including my younger brother who told me he wasn't going to listen to me anymore until I started talking about Animorphs, you're fucking welcome too. Wow. Thank you so much for your love and support during this trying time. All of um, all of you who were nice about it and were just like, I'm looking forward to Animorphs, that was not directed at you. That was only directed at my younger brother. Yes. No, you guys are the all-stars. You guys who are the ones that were like, I love Animorphs so much, but I will continue to listen to Anna and Em on the off chance that they mention it even just once. You guys rock. I feel like I have to like reread the first nine books because I, I need to be immersed again <laughs> just listen to our episodes about them <laughs> oh true true we did such a good job of recapping the books true so every if you like animorphs only that's fine you can do that every other week if you like units only that's fine you can do that every other week if you like both they are all going to be on the same feed we're not splitting this off into like another podcast um it's all going to be under shelf aware Mm -mm. we're going to continue to try to push ourselves to read things that we normally wouldn't have decided to read and i think that reading books for children about people turning into animals as delighted as we are by them is something that still falls in that category yes it was certainly an unexpected love that developed between mm-hmm. us and Animorphs. So. Yes. so next week there will not be an episode, which will be the last week, I believe, without an episode. <laughs> so sorry for all this buildup, but this will not be taking place immediately. <laughs> um, it is going to start in the new year. So the first uh, week of January, we're going to be reading a submission from a listener, um, Elliot. Uh, so I'm not going to read the whole email because some of it's just like general niceness from Elliot. Mm-hmm. But he writes, I have a very specific unit suggestion. What about stories about theater productions where the cast get eaten by the play, where the characters are actors in a play and soon, due to some spooky doings, end up embodying their roles in real life? As a starting point, may I suggest the kids' horror book Inside the Worm by Robert Swindles. So this is the, we are going to be doing this as kind of a unit. It might take a little bit longer to get through just because we're going to be doing it like kind of in between all the other stuff that we're doing, but we're doing the first one next week with this book Elliot suggested, Robert Swindles. Um, And honestly, I have no freaking clue what this genre is. I don't know if it is a genre. I don't think I've ever read any books like this. So I'm very much looking forward to reading this book to kind of get an idea of what we're dealing with here yeah I'm definitely intrigued um the the cover of the book is just like this big dragon looking thing breathing fire um and it's the second book in a series so mm, we'll see I think I feel like I feel like there's gonna be a lot here to uh for us to discuss Mm, I'm very looking much looking forward to it and also it's a short book so which is always a plus (laughs) Um, But then the week after that, we are going to be back on Animorphs uh, with Animorphs number 10. So if you are Mm -hmm. wanting to read along with either our unit stuff or our Animorphs stuff, that's what's coming up. Yes. In the meantime, if you would like to get in touch with us and tell us your favorite... Your favorite butt spectating outfits, whether those be outfits you wear while butt spectating or outfits others wear so you can spectate their butts. <laughs> you can tweet at us 
at shelfawarecast or email us shelfawarecast at gmail.com. We are also always taking submissions. We received a lovely submission from listener Dan earlier that we'll be getting into later on as we start to wrap up cyberpunk and I don't, uh, the, uh, the theater, the theater unit that we don't really, we don't really have a specific name for yet, but we will invent one. Don't yes. you worry. And also the new units that we've got coming up. Cause yeah, stay tuned for that. We did just wrap up this, uh, just new finished, adult one. Oh. So Anna's going to be having to come up with a new unit here. I have to think of another thing. Yeah. I got to think <laughs> of another book I didn't like. Um, <laughs> there's so few of them, you guys. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like I said, please send us uh, slove missions of your favorite books, your least favorite books, books you liked okay, but think we'll either really like or really hate. Like, we'll take it all. We'll read literally anything, you guys, we've, as long as we can get our hands on it. We've certainly proved that to be the case. Yes. <laughs> we are also on all of your favorite podcast aggregating platforms. So if you haven't followed or subscribed to us on one of those, you definitely should because we're going to be there weekly now in your mm-hmm. inbox with Animorphs and other books, and you know you don't want to miss out on a single minute of Hawkboy and alien gang guys. I forgot all of it. Tobias, Swiftwind, Cassie, Rachel, Marco, how could you do this? How could I? I... <laughs> guys, I'm so sorry to announce we have to cancel our podcast because I'm such a fake Animorphs fan. <laughs> <laughs> everything you just heard us talk about please disregard is no longer happening <laughs> as always thank you to ben cope for the use of our theme song i should have said that earlier but i did it you can check out his youtube channel on our show notes below um as a reminder we are doing a sticker giveaway there is uh info on that on our twitter um also it's essentially just like email us and we'll give you some stickers there's a little bit of rules to it but like pre- pretty much it's email us and we'll give you some fucking stickers guys just do it do it in the words of jen deluca i didn't choose the wench life the wench life chose me (laughs) what a good opening line to a book though you know (laughs) i enjoyed it as a younger sister Uh, this was very um much hitting home to me in Aww. the relationship with with Sean and Simon where uh but then also like Sean got cancer so that part I didn't really quite connect with as much <laughs> yeah I mean there's still time Michael could still get cancer someday just not today <laughs> no let's not put that in our podcast <laughs> I'm not like I'm, it's a possibility you can't rule anything out cancer happens anywhere anytime you could someday relate to this book a lot more, is what I'm saying. <laughs> Let's hope you don't have to. What the fuck is wrong with you? Let's hope you don't have to, but you. I'm just saying. <laughs> you know, like, don't sell yourself short. Know, There's still time. There's still time to relate. I don't think relate. I can put this in. I don't think I can put this in. I'm pretty sure this would make him sad. <laughs> It could happen to Mark, too. I don't know. It doesn't have to be Michael. <laughs> yeah, but he's my younger brother, so it's different. Oh, so that doesn't matter then. That's fine. <laughs> it's not fun. I have to cut all of this. We can't. We need to stop this tangent. I'm cutting all of this. Oh, I'm going to bring it up later so you, you can't. Um, oh, my God. <laughs> you're a monster. 